Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Toe Meat Salad Podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today is two people who I'm pretty sure have never been to Nebraska, Andrew and Artem. Uh, start with you, Andrew. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Um, Nebraska's on my list of states I will never set foot into due to the movie Children of the Corn. Um, it shares a place on that list with the state of Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, how is Iowa not on that list as well? Uh, Pretty much that's the only two on the list. And then, Artem, what are your feelings on children and corn? Well, it's just one of those states that kind of drive through. Uh, Nebraska's one of those states that even Wikipedia forgot about. Their site hasn't been updated since twenty fall of 2018, so it's been almost two and a half years since anybody gave a crap about what their Wikipedia page looks like. So that tells you a lot about their state. I do... Uh, we were talking about it earlier before the cast, and I like how <laughs> Andrew's like, yeah, they got a panhandle. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> they have a panhandle? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I know what the state looks like. I'm not sure I could find it on a map, uh, honestly. I know I know it's the one above Kansas that looks like a really fat Oklahoma. Well, it's like a reverse Oklahoma, right? Because it goes in the opposite direction? No, it goes in the same direction. Does it? Oh, fuck me. Yeah, that's where the really fat panhandle comes from. Oh, pff, fuck off. Alright, well... Mean. So... Blame Nebraska, not me. So, I do want to go ahead and cover something that I'm sure people are going to ask about. Um, so, we didn't have a national championship cast because it pretty much played out how we expected it to. Alabama won. It wasn't close. Uh... I, I don't know what else there was to comment on that. Um, Artem, do you have anything to add? I mean, you were pretty. This was pretty much what you were saying going into the match. It's like Alabama's going to win, and there's not much else to say. I mean, it was COVID karma all over, and it was beautiful because Ohio State got what was coming to them. Unfortunately, they won a game to get there. But uh, yeah, it was COVID karma. You know, they. they Changed there are a lot of rules, which you know some of them are understandable, others not. But you, they, that whole thing with them canceling their football season—not I know that's not just Ohio State, but as a conference and like trying to get everybody on board to cancel their football season and, and the whole shindig with the whole conference changing the rules because they wanted the Ohio State to be in the conversation—that was all freaking ridiculous. And them getting demolished in the final championship just kind of set all that straight. Yeah, and I mean, it does also kind of just justify, I do think it does justify a lot of complaints that people have about college football right now, which is just that you've only got like one or two maybe good teams at the top. Clearly it was Alabama this year is just so much better, but at the same time, I mean, I do I do think uh, that was something that everybody was kind of excited about. Ohio State made an enemy out of pretty much everybody in the country because of that situation but uh andrew what were your thoughts or do you have any yes kind of what i expected alabama was just that much better than everyone else this year sometimes it'd be like that you know they don't know how you know having having spent the day learning about the history of nebraska i get it (laughs) uh speaking of which so yeah we've been talking a lot about the state of nebraska which, you know, kind of an odd discussion. <laughs> I don't think you should bring it up to your friends at a bar or anything. But uh, this week we're talking about the fall of Nebraska as a college football program. So I'm going to kind of give a recap real fast for 
those who are unfamiliar because I frankly I am not wholly familiar with the story before we get down to the nitty-gritty um, Nebraska was a big football program uh, particularly in the 80s and the 70s and were was one of the influential kind of founders of the Big 12 now if you're not familiar with college football in general uh, the Big 12 is kind of viewed as the heavy offense conference. Um, they've had a lot of quarterbacks. The most obvious right now being Patrick Mahomes. And a lot. there's a lot of other teams uh, are kind of still benefiting from, uh, I guess, Jalen Hurts. Or do we count him as a Big 12 quarterback or is he an SEC quarterback? I don't know. Uh, he is an SEC quarterback. But anyway... Uh, so, the Big 12, Nebraska was one of the Big 12's founding members, and uh, the Big 12 kind of did really well. I think the other view of them would be kind of the Midwest or the Texas Conference, and for a while they were probably one of, if not the, you know, they were up there as one of the most prominent founding members of the Power Five conferences, uh, and... As time went on, due to financial differences, let's say, um, and other issues that I'm sure we're going to get into, um, teams decided that they were going to kind of field to greener pa- pastures. So some teams started leaving for the SEC, some left for the Big 12, there were some left for the Pac 12, or sorry, the Big 10, some left for the Pac 12, and the and if you've heard a joke about the Big 12, here it is, you know. Now the Big 12 only has 10 teams. Ha <laughs> um, And kind of from there, Nebraska's been a part of the Big 10. And if there's anything that you really need to know about it, it's just been a dismal, I would say, probably decade and a half. It's, it's been really bad, probably even before they joined the conference, but certainly since they joined the Big Ten, it's all been pretty downhill. So before we get into the specifics, do y'all think I missed anything that I kind of need to highlight for beginners or the uninitiated, let's say? I just think the Nebraska was originally a member of the Big Eight, and when the Southwest Conference collapsed, the four of the Texas schools, Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, and why am I drawing a blank? Missouri. What's, no, Missouri went in the Southwest, were they? Uh, I mean, they joined the Southwest from the Big 12. Colorado, Missouri, Nebraska, and A&M left in 2011 and 2012. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about way, 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 way back mid, early 90s, the Big 12 was founded yeah, he's when the not, Southwest Conference collapsed. He's not talking about the Southeast. He's talking about the original. Oh, Baylor, Tech. Texas, Texas Tech. That's who I was forgetting, yeah. The, the Big 8 decided to add those four teams and become the Big 12. So, I mean, this is not a totally new trend. I mean, conferences form, conferences fall apart, usually because of financial deals, and then new conferences are formed. But the impact that it has on the schools can be uh, different, I would say. Obviously, we're going to get into this, but for some schools like Texas A&M and Missouri, it can be beneficial for other schools like, 
I don't know if we would consider Colorado really falling off, but Colorado and Nebraska, you know, it hasn't been as nearly as successful. Anyway, um, I think that pretty much covers everything for just a basic intro. Artem, why don't you give us kind of a rundown on what the Big 12, the Big 12 history and kind of what it actually is from a more experienced standpoint? Sure. And uh, if you're, you know, if you're a Nebraska fan and you feel very sad about the history you just heard and it's driving you to drink, uh, somebody just put out a mod for NCAA 12 where it's like a revamped NCAA 12, and you can go play as Nebraska and win the national championship. So if, uh, if our conversation makes you sad, I would, uh, I would go that way. <laughs> it's probably it a good look, idea. looks I, really cool. I actually just like that game in general. Uh, I want them to bring it back, but, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. But, yeah, just oh, play, yeah, sorry. play it in general. NCAA 14, yeah. Yeah, Big 12 um, kind of hurt itself, honestly, uh, for a good... Uh, period of time, uh, A&M was successful there in the beginning, um, went probably, I think, three years without losing a home game. Um, that was pretty much A&M's existence in the Big 12. Um, Texas Tech flared up here and there, but has never had really a good defense to, to go up to. Baylor's had their their Heisman winner and uh, RG3 pop up in, in the, the teens. Lots of schools kind of flared up, but uh, the history of the conference, and I would say the failure of the conference, lies in the fact that OU and Texas have really dominated the entire landscape. They're the two big brand schools, and uh, a lot of affiliate agreements, a lot of uh, bull money, the way it's divided, who gets more airtime, really went to those two big schools. Well, and Yeah, and that, that brings up a question. I think a lot of people hear about the Longhorn Network itself. And maybe it's just because I'm on the East Coast. I don't see as much of that. Can you explain that deal? The Longhorn Network is, again, the, the Texas Network, the University of Texas. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it was kind of how to, part of a power play on Texas's part. They made a deal with ESPN, and essentially what it is and what they didn't, <laughs> what it was supposed to be was this big network to talk about how good Texas is, and then you have recruits watch it, and they're like, Dang, I want to be part of that. Look how much airtime their football team gets. Unfortunately, it never became that because since the formation of the Longhorn Network, they've never been successful enough to have enough content to show, and it's more disappointment for their fans. So it's usually reruns of their uh, national championship against USC <laughs> from the couple times that I've caught the channel. So, so uh, I think I think you're leaving out a Bevo Christmas where you watch Bevo walk around his pen. <laughs> sure. That is a highlight. So, so you're pointing out that uh, it seems like a lot of these. Uh, it seems like the Big Twelve, in particular, has a tendency to favoritism, especially from uh, you know Oklahoma and Texas, who are the big money makers. So, how does that fit in for a lot of these schools that ended up leaving, like uh, Nebraska and Colorado? Because Nebraska. Correct me if I'm wrong. Nebraska was a founding member of the Big 12. Is that accurate? Well, Andrew mentioned they were part of the Big 8. So they were originally part of that Big 8. And then the four schools that joined, Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, and Texas Tech, made it the Big 12. So, yeah. Okay. So how how does that factor in? I guess jealousy would be what was kind of upsetting people, the fact that uh, a lot of the money was getting funneled in directly to Texas, essentially. 
Well, we are talking about a lot of Nebraska about here, but um, multiple schools left, right? We talked about it a little bit. In 2011, it was Colorado and uh, Nebraska leaving, and then 2012, it was Missouri and uh, Texas A&M leaving. And technically, A&M was one of the one of the four, but actually was one of the later ones to join. So it's kind of interesting that how that works out. But it it's largely because boosters for programs like OU and Texas have made all the decisions, and some of those decisions weren't the brightest. So if you're Nebraska and you're kind of sitting out here, you got kind of like we talked before the cast. You're the only powerhouse football program in the entire freaking state, and there's just corn everywhere. So nobody's doing anything else when Nebraska's playing. When Nebraska's playing, the entire state is watching. And when that happens is you got big expectations, and you you can build a big power school because kids grow up watching you. Um, But what happened was Texas and OU stole a lot of that airtime, so you kind of get jealous after, you know, 20 years, and you can't really produce as much as those two schools because they're getting all the, the four or five stars, and you can't get those guys because people don't know your brand as well nationally. Texas can go to California because they're on TV all the time and pick up a five-star. Nebraska couldn't really do that. They'd be like, you're who? I mean, I've heard of you, but I didn't know you guys played football. Um, so the, Nebraska was one of the schools that kind of realized that there's a lot of potential elsewhere, um, and, and they left because of that. And a lot of that had to do with just you know revenues. Bowl revenues drive other sports. And then when Texas and OU get a lot of that and build better facilities for basketball, baseball now, then you're in Nebraska and you're like, what the hell, where's my money? So I guess my only other question before we move into the history of Nebraska, and this does kind of touch on the history of Nebraska in a way. So I kind of, you know, I kind of highlighted there was there was a lot of success for Nebraska in the 80s. After joining the Big 12, like, were they competitive in the conference? Were they, did they maybe deserve to get more respect than what they were getting uh, from the, you know, the boosters, as you were saying, who were running the conference? What What's your take, Artem? Well, <laughs> if you... If you look up the current articles that are uh, out there about Nebraska and some of the ones that we posted in the past, um, <laughs> you could say they they never were, but um, they did they did do quite well uh, in the '90s as well. And uh, through that early beginnings, they, you know they're they're a powerhouse uh, in the Big Eight. And um, originally, once that conference, the Big Big Twelve was formed, they maintained some of that. Uh, powerhouse notion up until the early 2000s and then that's when they started dropping off so um they were at some point a a program that a lot of people wanted to play for but uh texas and ou were slowly taken over and you know after what looks like about a decade of watching that and watching their team lose more games than they have the previous 20 years um that's when they started getting upset okay uh fair enough well there was a general outline of the Big 12 and, and how Texas kind of dominates it. Texas and Oklahoma, obviously. Uh, Andrew, uh, can you? why don't you go ahead and give us a rundown of Nebraska and its history? So I think we don't realize, because of how young we are, how good Nebraska was for how long. It's just nuts when you really start to look at it. So they hired Bob Devaney in 1962. 
And from 1962 through 2003. So, uh, I mean, that's almost, what, 40 years? Uh, uh, you know, Give or take, yeah. yeah like they, their, worst, their worst ever seasons were Bob Devaney, 6-4 and 6-4 six and four in 1967 and 1968. They would not... And then Solich went 7-7 seven and seven in 2002. 23 double-digit win seasons, 22 conference titles, 35 straight bowl games from 1969 to 2003... And a lot of that in a time period where we didn't have a hundred bowls. I mean, we're going to a bowl game meant something. Yeah, these are and like it was orange a huge bowl. deal. Citrus yeah, bowl. I mean, I mean, these are orange bowls, Fiesta bowls, sugar bowls, cotton bowls. Uh, you know, a Rose Bowl in two thousand and one, which is weird. <laughs> uh, the Citrus Bowl in nineteen ninety, where they lost to Georgia Tech. You know, uh... I mean, they were legit. And honestly, if you look at it. The two bad seasons for Devaney in 67 and 68 broke a five straight bowl game streak. You know, they've got five claimed national titles during that time period, as well as apparently they have seven other national titles that they could have claimed. I mean, they were named a national champion. By a poll, some polling organization in 1980, 81, 82, 83, and 84. <laughs> so just some, um, some, somebody said they someone were. Someone named them. <laughs> um, you know, Tom Osborne won three and four years in 94, 95, and 97. Uh, you know, that was the big... I remember the big thing about they said about Tom Osborne is he can win all these games, but he can't win a title. So he then goes and wins, you know, three and four years. And I just think that because we know so much more of, of the more modern Nebraska, we really kind of lose sight of just how good and how dominant of a program they were. And it's been really interesting kind of diving in and reading to understand why, what they did. I mean, you think about it. Nebraska is in the middle of nowhere. It's a state that has never been known for high school talent. I mean, especially, I mean, it's a little better now. I think some of the high schools in the Omaha area are putting out some talent, but for a team to be that dominant that long, especially at a time period where recruiting was so much more regional, it's just incredible. And the things that I've started to realize is one of the big things for Nebraska is they were the first team to really go into strength and conditioning. Oh, interesting. They were, apparently for the longest time, teams didn't want to lift weights, they didn't want to bulk up, they thought it made just slow, everything was predicated on small and quick, and I believe Bob Devaney came in and said, no, you know, we're going to we're gonna get big. And so Nebraska was always kind of on the forefront of the strength and conditioning program. The other thing that I've read is, this was a lot of this was before scholarship limitations. Uh, you know, we didn't see, I think we had, they, there's discussions of the 140 scholarship rule, I want to say in like the mid-60s, but it didn't happen. Um, we didn't get the 85 scholarship limit until 1992. Yeah. And so, again, that's another thing where Nebraska's able to have just that many players around. Now every other team was as well. Uh, the other part that I've read about it is uh, Osborne apparently basically 
convinced every high school coach in Nebraska, hey, you're going to run the same thing on offense and defense that we run in Nebraska. And so it, uh, these kids grew up running these systems, and they may not have been the most athletic or the biggest when they got to Nebraska, but, you know, they had been especially with, with a lot of the I-option stuff that Osborne, run, you know, I mean, kids have been running the option since he was a seven-year-old. <laughs> And so that's another thing that's... And it's been really neat to kind of dive into this. The other side of it, too, is Nebraska was a team that that made a lot of haywire on non-qualifiers and partial qualifiers. What does that mean? So, in 1986, the NCAA passed what is called Proposition 48. And at the time, apparently before this, it was the Wild Wild West and anyone could play football if they got into the school. (laughs) This basically set a floor for recruited athletes where they had to have a certain GPA or a certain SAT. And oh. I, believe, I believe it was a sliding scale. But if you had a kid who met one of the requirements but not the other one, he was a partial qualifier. And if you had a kid who met neither of them, he was a non-qualifier. But being a non-qualifier didn't mean you couldn't go to the school. It just meant you couldn't play your first year. And so, apparently, Nebraska was really big on making a lot of with partial and non-qualifiers, and I found a really neat article um, in the Omaha World Herald from 2016 that basically talks about how when the Big 12 was founded, Texas wanted to basically say no one in the Big 12 can take partial or non-qualifiers, and as a conference rule. Uh, the vote to pass that rule was 11-1. to 1. Nebraska was the only team dissenting. And so, yeah, you're talk, artists talking about Texas kind of being the the big boy on the block. You know, it seems like Nebraska had a problem with a, <laughs> you know, way back at the beginning. Um, nowadays, there's no such thing as partial qualifiers and non-qualifiers. I think that rule changed. Oh, I don't know when, because I've read an article about John Calipari complaining about it when he was at UMass, so it's not a super old change. Um, there has also been discussion of reviving uh, partial qualifiers and considering them academic red shirts, but who knows? Right. So that all played a role. You know, Nebraska was able to do all of these things, as well as they were always on TV. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to talk about um, Oklahoma versus the NCAA, the Supreme Court case that broke the cartel for TV um, rights. You know, Nebraska was always on TV. Well, that was also, so, uh, but that I don't think we're going to go super into that court case. But that was essentially the court case which ended up breaking apart the Southwestern Conference. Correct? That y'all were well, discussing? well, that and then SMU getting the death penalty and like three quarter, actually pretty much every team in the Southwest cheating on the level SMU was cheating. Um, and yeah, that, you know, not being able to sell your, your television rights like that really, uh, you know, television money started getting more and more and more and more and playing a more active role in things. And then Arkansas bolted for the SEC and that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of signaled, Hey man, maybe we need to, we need to pull something together. And then your, your four Texas schools bolted for the big eight that became the big 12 and then everyone else was just kind of left in the wilderness. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like, uh, Devaney was well ahead of his time though, with all the stuff that he set up, not only, you know, from a, 
conditioning standpoint for his students, but also setting up things within his own state to be like, we are going to make kids come here and kids who come here are going to know what they're doing, you know, and kind of feed into it. So he sounds like he was kind of ahead of his time as far as coaching goes. It's, it's really interesting as I kind of dove into the depths of Husker internet. Um, it's been kind of cool to read stuff from actual Nebraska fans or people that played there and, and kind of talk about, it seems like a lot of what has really kind of caused their collapse is a ton of the, the rule changes, the scholarship limits, the recruiting changes, the outlawing of performance enhancing drugs, because everyone, Nebraska especially, was in jacked out on steroids for most of the 80s. <laughs> Um, well, it wasn't illegal at the time. So. No, no, no. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, it is what it is. You know, but it talks about the partial qualifiers. It talks about scholarship restrictions. Apparently, the in-state at one time allowed you to use a private jet to fly recruits in for official visits, um, which, A, is pretty sweet. And, B, not allowing it anymore meant that the student-athletes had to fly into Omaha and then drive, I think it's like an hour to Lincoln. So it's, that's always going to kind of... Which, to be fair, I mean, that doesn't really impact Georgia's recruiting all that much or Clemson's all that much. And, Lord, I don't know where kids that go to Auburn fly into. Texas A&M has their own airport. Nice. Does it fly commercial? Yeah, you can fly in from... You you'd still have to, like, go to Houston, I think. Uh, no, that, may be, from, that may be what you do. You can go from Dallas to yeah. the airport, but... I know Tuscaloosa has its own airport, you know. Why doesn't Georgia Tech have its own airport? Come on. Uh, we have Burnsfield Jackson. That is such a garbage airport. <laughs> nice. You know, all the, I mean, I, I'm cool with it. I've been to some other pretty shitty ones. Well, it's... But, yeah, so with Nebraska, that's the big thing, is they were ahead of their time for a lot of stuff. Um, and, then, and I have another theory as well about Nebraska. Um, and I don't know if we can talk about it here, but everyone talk about, like, their collapse. Well, let's uh, save it for a little bit longer. But, yeah, I guess the only other thing I want to kind of emphasize before we get into our next section... So where do you really kind of mark the drop-off for Nebraska? Um, so in my mind, um, the the break point is after the 2003 season. Um, that is, 2003, Frank Sulich goes 10-3. and They beat Michigan State in the Alamo Bowl. They end the season ranked number 18 in the country. And Frank Sulich gets fired. Um, Which we talked we have kind of brought I up in the past. I've never forgiven them for that, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> um, well, because then... Solich, I mean, just again to give an idea, we were we've kind of run through a lot of coaches. Solich was pretty consistently nine ten wins. Am I wrong? No, he went he went nine and four, twelve and one, ten and two, eleven and two, and ten and three. Um, he had a national championship game loss to Miami in two thousand and one. Um, I believe they won the Big Twelve. In 1999, so he never went below nine wins, though. So he was uh, he went he went seven and seven in 2002. That was his worst year. Okay, okay. So he did have one bad year. All right, but yeah, but even for most programs, that wouldn't be a big deal. Seven and seven is actually still pretty good. I would take that at Georgia Tech. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so because that I, to me is is the breaking point between so because Devaney. To Osborne to Solich is all continuity. Solich Osborne worked for Devaney. Solich worked for Osborne. So I guess if you want to touch on it briefly, why did they? 
decide to fire Solich then? Is there a rationale? I don't know. From what I've read, certain parts of the administration felt like they were falling behind. I mean, this was 2003. Uh, so still not, I think, to like the explosion we see nowadays, but I, I think you did see some of the modernization happening and maybe Nebraska wasn't as on the forefront as they had used to be. You know, they kind of got, again, they got spoiled with Osborne winning three titles in four years in 94, 95, and 97. And so, I think it was very knee-jerk. And to be fair, I mean, Bill Callahan, who came after him, had two winning seasons, um, but two really, he broke their bowl streak, which is a huge thing. Um, that, well, that around that time, OU won a national championship too, right? So yeah. that's when, like, they really got the big squeeze from Texas and then OU with the them starting to dominate a conference and winning titles. So I, I, yeah, I want to say that Texas's national title right around is right around there as well. When they beat USC, I think it's 06. Yeah, yeah, it's a little later. And that really overshadowed a lot of everything else that was happening in the conference. Because, I mean, going back in history, that's one of the premier national championship games of all time. I if. I mean, I'm kind of oh, yeah. throwing stuff out there. Absolutely. So that kind of overshadowed everything the rest of the conference was had done up to that point in so many ways. Yeah, I, I think it broke Texas's. Like Texas hadn't won a national title since like the 50s or the 60s, I think. Um, but yeah, so that obviously that was the drop. So obviously, if we're setting that as the break point, and then they leave. I think not more than 10 years later, they leave the Big 12. 2011 was their first season in the Big 10. Yeah, so only about, yeah. Which, I mean, the, the Bo Pelini era at Nebraska really should just be its own 30 for 30. Like, uh, yeah. I I mean, the man 9 and 4, 10 and 4, 10 and 4, 9 and 4, 10 and 4, 9 and 4, 9 and 4, 9 and, 4 and gets fired. Yeah, we have brought that whole situation up so many times as well. Um, and I just don't understand it. I don't think I'll ever understand it. But um, they, got, they got tired of winning nine games, and they haven't won nine games since 2016. <laughs> hey, you know. They haven't had a winning. Actually, 2016 was their last winning season. Sometimes you get what you want. The monkey paw curls. <laughs> um, Alrighty. Uh, so I guess let's get down into the actual details that we're talking about so we've kind of laid it out you can see the kind of the obvious uh impact you've got a big 12 with a lot of teams that joined it initially um at least i mean obviously for different reasons but for the tv revenue and as the conference progressed uh the longhorn network uh which came around late 90s early 2000s started attempting to suck away more of that uh, money, you know, and uh, also it was kind of disparaging to the other programs being directly named after a competitor. And then obviously Oklahoma coming along, having their things. So then we hit this point where teams just start uh, deciding to leave. Now, this is where I get kind of confused on the timeline, but uh, Artem, I think, what, what were the first two to leave? Do you know what were the two first two teams to leave? Was it Colorado and Nebraska? Uh, it was yeah, it was Colorado and Nebraska, and actually, uh, Longhorn Network got born around at the same time, so I'm sure there were rumors about it, and they're like, "Yeah, we're leaving." Okay. So 2011 was the first year of the Longhorn Network. 
Oh, my bad. I, I thought it happened way sooner because it's been such a big deal for so long now. God, I'm old. Fuck. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, so yeah, around that time, I guess people started, got fed up because uh, the revenue started kind of getting more funneled more into uh, Texas, which I guess has always been the trend here. But uh, yeah, I guess, are we saying it all came down to um, the Longhorn Network? I mean, uh, Andrew, I mean, what... Since you were the one doing the research, Andrew, what are your thoughts on uh, Nebraska's decision to leave, I guess? Uh, I think it has a lot to do with television revenues and how much they could stand to make. I, I don't know what the distribution breakdown percentages were for the Big 12 prior to the teams leaving. And obviously with the, the Longhorn Network, I mean, that distribution of any money made from that is going to so heavily skew to the University of Texas that you're not really going to gain much as Nebraska. And to me, I mean, that's why they left. Um, you know, I'm reading an article that uh, I think kind of puts some lipstick on a pig and says, well, one of the reasons we left was because the Big Ten was so well-respected academically and they had this, you know, research consortium and all this other, you know, blah, 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 blah stuff that makes the academics seem happy but really doesn't matter. Well, it's, it's also kind of weird, too, because I think nowadays the Nebraska and is talked about as bringing down the academic prestige of the Big Ten. And it's like, that's why y'all joined, so that it would make you look better, and now you're making everyone else look worse. At least that's kind of the national perception. I mean, and this is where I, I kind of... Academic prestige of conference is such a garbage thing to argue about. Like, cool. The ACC and the Big Ten are arguably the top average conference is by average academics and who cares I don't, doesn't win you national titles i don't think most and i don't think most recruits care either but maybe Ooh, that's some of my fun hot takes about recruiting right there <laughs> um but uh going back to the kind of the local scene artem so you were around when uh nebraska started to kind of take off what was the perception of the teams, of the other teams in the Big 12, did they feel like kind of this was the beginning of the end, or they were they more like, okay, who needs you? I was still young to football at the time, so I was still learning. <laughs> that was a that was a good time to to start getting into it. Um, I think Nebraska and Colorado leaving showed schools like Missouri and A and M that hey, there's an opportunity here and you guys are not going to make it with uh, the bigger schools taking a, a lot more money um, and taking the television rights. So, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to go to a different conference potentially and jump jump off the bridge uh, or what do you call it? Uh, jump off the, the walk in the plank. There we go. Um, and, I mean, it, I did, think, it did kind of turn into a fire sale for a while there because, I mean, other conferences were – taking part in this where they were kind of sniping teams from lower conferences and all that. But the big 12 was kind of the, the one that got lost the most, I think uh, where this move kind of started other teams being like, well, I could go to a potentially better conference. Uh, right. I, I mean, I think it was kind of a double whammy. So if you look at Nebraska, they were a part of the big six starting in 1928 and then, 
They're part of the Big Seven in 1948, which is essentially the same conference, which turned into the Big Eight, which then turned into the Big 12. So really, Nebraska's been a founding member of all these conferences since 1928 because the conference just kept growing. And now, all of a sudden, in 2011, Nebraska and the whole market of these fans that have been watching the school for you know, 40 years, whether it was you know really successful years or now kind of down years where they're frustrated, and that whole market is now leading the Big 12. So if you look at the footprint that the Big 12 has now, it's I believe it's like four states, and one of them was West Virginia. Uh, whereas before, uh, you had Missouri, you had Colorado, you had Nebraska, and all of those are gone. So schools were able to see that, hey, Nebraska is taking a huge market share with them. We can now say, hey, you schools that don't have the Colorado or don't have the Texas, don't have the Missouri, you guys can have a share of that market. And they were able to sell themselves better. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like that – I feel like maybe there was a misunderstanding of how big that market share was, that connection to kind of the West – but also, I think that might have kind of factored into the Big Ten's decision-making. Because I don't know, and Andrew, maybe you can shed some light on this. I don't know that Nebraska, from the years that they joined, have really added much to the market viability of like the Big Ten. Uh, not in the way they expected. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've read any articles about that. I, I feel like uh, it has not expanded their TV market that much. I mean, you know, you trade you trade the Texas market for the Midwest. You know, you pick up Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee. You lose Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. Which, uh, again, we can talk about a little bit later. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the best trade. Not so much from eyes and TV sets, but specific eyes on TV sets. So I was actually looking up a contract from 2009 and see what the revenue shares were for those schools. And... Uh, just to give you uh, a quick overview, the TV, this is TV money and how it's decided between schools, okay? Uh, Texas was at number one, Oklahoma, then Kansas, then A&M, then Nebraska. So Nebraska, as a founding member of these conferences, has been around since 1928, was number five on the list of revenue. And yeah, there's you know a million in between those top five places, but at the same time, that's a million that you could be putting into your facilities, into your recruiting, and... There's also a breakdown here of what the Big Ten contract was uh, for the time at the time. It was 154 million, while the Big 12 was only revenue sharing 103. So, I think Nebraska saw that hey, there's a conference over here making 50 more million, and we're going to bring a little bit more with them, maybe renegotiate, and we can make more money. Yeah, I mean that's that's everything that drives conference realignment is making more money. I mean, look at look at the the rights deal the SEC just signed. It's patently absurd. Which, hey, more power to them, though. I mean... I, yeah, I mean, if, if TV networks want to pay money for their rights, I mean... <laughs> I ain't mad at you. If, maybe if video games want to pay money for their rights? I, I don't know. Oh, that's, that's way more complicated. But, uh, I mean, it is kind of... This is the, kind of the interesting period to me because if so many of these teams were in it for the money. It, it, it kind of became clear that... I mean... Artem, this might make you happy. I might be stretching it a bit. But Texas was kind of screwing everybody over in that conference. And so a lot of people were like, well, fuck it. I'm out to get mine. Am I, am I wrong? 
Gosh, Artem sounds like around, a- around the time I was literally just getting into football. That was like me getting my feet wet, and that was the whole conversation from from the A and M fan base I heard was Texas was just making more money than everybody else. So was Oklahoma, and the two of them didn't give a shit. And it, the bias was very very obvious. And you know, based on this revenue numbers, you can clearly tell that. And that's just for TV, right? So, uh, for example, SEC splits their uh, revenues evenly between every team. So even though Alabama goes to the national championship, they still get the same amount of money as everybody else. Because that money goes into a pool, and then that's divided 14 ways. Uh, I don't know what the Big 12 does now, but 10 years ago, well, 12 years ago, they didn't do that. You got the money. I'm sure it's still really complicated, because I know the Big 12 is one of those companies, and this is going to get way into the weeds, and I'm not even sure what I'm talking about. Uh, Certain rights to sports and games are tiered so there's like tier one tier two tier three and if i remember correctly your tier three rights are the like texas versus texas state games where no one other than texas fans are really going to want to watch oh, it oh like that game two years ago where army was like playing where it was on was... pay-per-view yes. yes those are third tier rights and the big 12 is the only conference that allows schools control of their third tier rights i think every other conference they're bundled in with everything else i know the accs is weird because a lot of the accs third tier stuff ends up on uh, raycom it's not right used to be raycom which is a whole nother train wreck but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't think that the revenue sharing in the big 12 has changed all that dramatically except that the pie has gotten significantly smaller yeah um so I guess this was going to be the next question I had. Um, I mean, Artem, we're kind of getting into it. Obviously, you know more about the Texas A&M situation, but this Nebraska leaving kicked off, you know, all these other teams leaving. Um, if you want to, you can touch about the how it impacted A&M in general because I'm sure you won't know more about that. But, you know, what after all these teams left uh, – how did it leave the Big 12 feeling, or I guess people in the region? There was a ton of lawsuits going on, back and forth. I know Baylor was suing because they were, you know, they joined the the Big 12 with A&M. I remember that being a big deal, and it was interesting because Baylor was the one that was suing, right? It wasn't like at Texas or OU who are like, oh crap, our pie is about to get smaller and we're going to get less money. Like, we were using these guys uh, to, to milk uh, our customers for more money, even though we, we always beat up on them. So um, I think it was a really complicated model, and that was really when Texas and OU got a little bit scared. You know, uh, the you, you need those other teams uh, in, in the playbook or in, in your uh, play schedule in Nebraska, in uh, Colorado, because uh, they were a powerhouse for a while, the Texas A&Ms, those teams help the conference be be interesting. It's kind of like, I guess, the view of the uh, the national playoff right now, right? Every time I go to the playoff, it's Clemson versus Alabama. So when it's Ohio State versus Alabama, or just two teams that are not Clemson and Alabama, you're like, great, this is actually interesting to watch. Going into this season, everybody was like, oh, man, it's going to be the same two schools again. I don't want to watch that, you know, fifth-time repeat of that because too much of that makes it boring. It makes it less exciting. And when those big schools leave the Big 12, 
those schools, they, they weren't the, the powerhouses, but they were kind of a, a little bit above average. They were the ones that beat up on the Baylor, the ones that beat up on Kansas. And every once in a while, every three to four years, they would have all seniors and maybe they would beat a Texas or an OU. Um, so it made it interesting to watch and the fans liked it. So more, more people actually watched the games because you never knew what could happen in some seasons. Well, and, uh, the, and the college aspect, or one of the more interesting aspects to me is all about college, has always been the rivalry games. And like you, we, you brought it up, Nebraska had been a founding member of all these conferences since the 20s. It's built up a bunch of rivalries. Texas A&M had a ton of rivalries. I mean, you know. Nebraska's adult, biggest was Nebraska-Oklahoma. Yeah, and then I think what, I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about all the teams now in the conference, but, you know, when Baylor sued, I think, you know, Baylor, maybe I'm wrong, I don't keep up with all the Baylor rivalries, but I think they had, like, rivalries with, or just at least general consistent game playing against Nebraska and Texas A&M and teams like that. So, yeah, I mean, I could see that being a big detriment to the fans in general, to be like, we don't get to play these guys anymore, you know. That seems, I I don't know if that was if that really set off a bunch of fan bases, because uh, Artem, uh, I'm gonna I guess I'll give you a chance to if you want to talk about this. I mean there has I don't know where from the in Nebraska stands, but I know since Texas A&M has left the Big Twelve, people have been really rallying to try and get a Texas Texas A&M game going again. So, yeah, that's, that's the public outcry. I think that it's 50-50. Uh, I think the smart A&M fans realize there's um, zero benefit to A&M playing Texas. Because right now, right, you have a measuring stick. If, well, it if would Texas, be, honestly, at this point, it would be more beneficial to Texas, I feel like. And that's what I'm saying, right? So, like, what... What are the potential scenarios here? If A&M beats Texas, everybody's going to say, well, you guys are in the ACC now, you should be winning. So <laughs> you get a 5% bump there. Uh, if A&M loses to Texas, Texas gets recruiting uh, shit talk for the rest of the trail. If A&M plays very close to Texas, uh, Texas gets the better of that deal because then you can say, oh, look, we're playing as good as an SEC team. So although there is a rivalry there and an aspect of uh, stomping them that, that is very satisfying, um, there's no real benefit to playing them on the football field. Gotcha. So, I guess, Andrew, now we're coming to the other side of that coin. Uh, what was the impact on Nebraska joining the Big Ten? Like, how did this work out for the Big Ten initially? Why did, um, I guess, the Big Ten decide... I don't really know the logistics of all this. So the, big, the Big Ten wanted to expand... Because the Big Ten saw the amount of money that you could make by having a conference championship game. And at the time, the NCAA required a conference to have 12 teams and two divisions in order to host a conference championship game. The only two at that time were the SEC and the Big 12. So the Big Ten said, huh, who can we bring in to make all of this money? And oddly enough, the Pac-12, I guess, at the same time. We're not really talking well, about Well, so it's interesting that I'm, I've been reading some stories, and one of the things that I talked about was apparently the Pac-12 was poised to take the 
two Oklahoma schools, Texas, Colorado, and I guess two other schools. Um, but some, but Texas refused to give up. You know, like I said, it's third tier rights and all of that. And guess that spooked Nebraska. They're like, well, if you know these other schools are trying to leave for the Pac-12, we should really try to to get us in a place where we can a make more money and b kind of be more on a solid footing in terms of conferences because we don't want to be the team that's left behind if the Big Twelve falls apart. Because they, I mean, they could look and they could see now. You know, SMU, right? TCU, especially TCU now. You know, the teams that were kind of left behind when the Southwest fell apart. Yeah, they weren't dominant teams to begin with. But I think SMU fans especially would argue the South Conference collapsing is one of the things that extended their death penalty so long. Well, and certainly the impact of it. I mean, the fact that that happens essentially while you're in the middle of the death penalty is just... Doesn't. Doesn't help anything. Um... But yeah, I mean, so the Big Ten, obviously, they wanted to expand, they wanted to get their playoff, and they got it. Um, but, I mean, we're talking about the collapse of Nebraska, so what was the impact of Nebraska? I think the we kind of already covered, you know, okay, we're leaving for quote-unquote academic prestige and all that, but I think one of the biggest impacts, to my understanding at least would be that the recruiting really dropped off once they joined the Big Ten. Um, am I am I kind of putting – am I accurate in that statement, Andrew? I think so. You know, Bo Pelini's first three years in the Big Ten, they went 9-4, and 10-4, and four, won the division, and then 9-4, and four, and then 9-4 and four again, uh, and then he got fired. But I've actually – I've been reading an article – and it's really kind of fascinating because it talks about how Nebraska had, you know, when, and Arnold kind of talked about it, when you're in the same conference since the 1920s, you know, you've recruited the same areas. And you've, you've been in the same areas. You've built the high school coach relationships. Um, I didn't realize this, but from 1979 to 1997, Nebraska played in a bowl game in Florida 12 times. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a school that was in Florida. And Florida high school coaches grew up going to an Orange Bowl seeing Nebraska. And kids, you know, grew up going to an Orange Bowl to see Nebraska. You know, when they joined the Big 12, it, it got them into Texas. You know, they could say, hey, you know, even though you're from Dallas, if you come play Nebraska, we still play games in Texas. And apparently they're, they, they recruited California well, which that one I can't understand. Uh, I'm trying to read the reasoning behind that one. I think just but everybody prob- recruits in California. Well, yeah, I mean, California, Texas, and Florida. Um, but, it, you know, it kind of talks about they were switching from these places where they had recruited for a pretty, pretty long period of time to trying to recruit in Michigan and Ohio and other parts of the Midwest where... You know, the Big Ten's been around since the 1920s, too. So all of these schools had spent so much time in those areas, you know. uh, And so they kind of traded some of their recruiting areas. That's always going to take time. Uh, I think that's always going to be a big thing is, 
if you're going into new areas to recruit, you've got to build relationships, and those relationships are going to take time. You know, missing the bowl games, not being in Florida anymore, which I think that's, again, that's that's a whole deeper conversation about how, A, Florida recruiting is completely different than it used to be 20 years ago. And, I mean, recruiting in general is different than it used to be 10 years ago. Well, and it's also... Which I, which I think has been a big thing that has kind of hurt Nebraska a little bit. Well, and also... Again, I, I'm not good on the geography. We talked about this at the very beginning of the cast. But, like, Nebraska's, like, pretty far out there from the rest of the Big Ten, right? Am I crazy? It is. It is, it is the southernmost, um, and I'm going to pull up a map to make sure that I'm not lying to you. You know, it's not the southernmost because it kind of lines up with, like, Iowa and maybe Illinois and Indiana. But it is definitely the westmost and one of the interesting things the article talked about is Nebraska traded fall games in Texas for hoodies and snow. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that can impact, you know, some kids don't want to play in cold weather. <laughs> I mean, Artem, you tell me, did the Texas kids like playing in cold weather? I mean, Texas kids aren't shy. They'll play anywhere. Um. I do think there's a recruiting aspect, but I think it's a little bit hidden behind the thing. It, it, it goes back to what Andrew said earlier. Uh, you know, you had uh, Devaney, who was big. You had Osborne, who was big. Solich was a continuation of that. And you, then uh, you, you go into Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini for six years, who actually had some decent classes. And the last two coaches right now are th- three-year terms. So I think a large portion of that is also continuity. Um, because if you actually look at the classes that uh, they recruited in the early 2000s, they weren't high-ranking classes, but they were still winning 11, 10 games because you had that continuity, that system that he mentioned. Um, you, you didn't need those classes, but now you're changing coaches every four years, and it's hard to build that up. It's hard to recruit kids and say, yeah, I'm still going to be here by your senior year if you're, the previous guy got fired before his kids got that. So, I mean, we're kind of blowing through coaches again. I'll just open the floor, but Artem, if you, if you, what do you know about those coaches or where they came from, how they ended up in Nebraska? Uh, I actually don't know much, but what uh, we can tell from recent history with uh, people like Dabo Sweeney and uh, the Jimbo Fishers and uh, Tom Osborne's of the world is the, the more time you give them, the more successful they're going to be. Bopolini spent seven seasons, and the, I mean, he was immediately successful and kind of brought the program back a little bit. He was an angry dude, but um, <laughs> he was he was kind of in that in that frame that Dabo Sweeney was for a while. Dabo Sweeney started out really crappy, and then he had I think four seasons fired. that were nine, four, ten, and four, and he didn't get fired. And eventually, he went from a ten and four season to a fourteen and zero. Um, and honestly, I don't remember how close Bopolini was in twenty fourteen. Um, but I remember being at Kyle Field for one of the games. Um, it must have been the 2010 season, uh, and, and it was one of the most exciting games I've ever seen. We won nine to six. Nine Jeez. to six. There were five field goals in that game, not a single touchdown. It was heavy <laughs> defense. Von Miller sacks. It was beautiful. Bo Pelini. You could see him yelling from the third uh, third tier stance that I was in. It was a very exciting game to be in, and they we knew they were a tough team. So. I think if Bo Pelini potentially got got more time, I, I think he would have uh, blown through that ceiling. Then you got, you know, they fired him, brought in two more guys, and they haven't been as successful. 
Um, but I think it does have to, a lot to do with continuity, and you got to give a coach a certain amount of time. And you, you're now rebuilding a program, right? And the, the thing with boosters who have been through those good years, they don't want to go through another rebuild. They want immediate success. And if it doesn't happen within four years, they trade them out for another guy. Well, and it all and it, it is it is kind of different too because as Andrew kind of touched on, Nebraska had not had to go through a rebuild for like. 50 years, basically, they had been not necessarily on top, but they had been like a consistently 9-10 win team. So you're like consistently one of the top 25 teams in the nation for 50 years. It's like, yeah, I don't really have to worry about building up a program, which makes it even more curious why they got rid of Bo Pelini. But um, Andrew, I, I mean, some. Tell, tell us something here. Why why did they make that change? Do you know? I, I think that there was a lot of culture issues with Polini and clashes with the administration. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm not 100% certain what happened. Um, again, it was just a ton of... He just didn't get along, I think, with a lot of the administration. Uh, they botched it doubly with the Mike Riley hire, which was just a complete and utter... Not because to me, Nebraska should look at Wisconsin as kind of who we should look at and what we should try to be and, and how we could, could work to build a program in a state that doesn't have a lot of recruiting and doesn't have a lot of homegrown talent. What can we work to build? And Riley was just, he was a West Coast guy. He was coming from Oregon State. You know, he, he it's different in the Pac-12. You know, it's, it's a different way to play the game and he's just a bad fit and you know now they brought the prodigal son scott frost home who you know gangbusters at ucf but uh, i mean ucf's arguably the top g5 job in the country and honestly you could probably hire the three of us and ucf might still win nine games yeah well and i mean i'm sorry i've i'm kind of realizing now that we haven't really touched on what nebraska's been the past 10 years i mean because we hit on how successful they've been, and we keep talking about their collapse. I mean, they have really struggled to win maybe six games uh, since they've kind of instituted. Go ahead, Andrew. What are you saying? Okay, 2016 was their last bowl game. Mike Riley went nine and four. Um, then they've gone four and eight, four and eight, five and seven, and they went three and five in the COVID year this year. Um, but the thing about it is, bowl games don't matter as much anymore. Uh, to be completely honest with you, because there's a bajillion of them. So making a bowl game is really not as, as big of an accomplishment. So, you know, like, uh, you look at Pelini's bowl games, Gator Bowl, Holiday, Holiday, Capital One, Capital One, Gator, Holiday. Those aren't Orange Bowls. Those aren't Fiesta Bowls. Those aren't Rose Bowls. They aren't Cotton Bowls. You know, Mike Riley the Capital One the, bowl, the Cotton Bowl? No, Capital One's one? in Florida. Oh, it's Capital One bowl. is what it used to be, the Citrus Bowl, yeah. The Capital One's what used to be the city, you know, and then Riley went to the Foster Farms Bowl. Do what now? <laughs> and then Music City. And it didn't make a bowl game. And so, uh, that's I the disagree, thing. I disagree, though. I disagree. Bowl games do matter. Because going to a bowl game gives you legally the opportunity to work your kids for 15 more practices. I will give you that. The next the 15, season, the, they'll be better. So, uh, as I said, the, the 15 practices for a bowl matter but in terms of prestige 
as much as the Bulls don't. Well, and I think that's probably what got those coaches fired. I mean... Well, again, you know, you look back at Tom Osborne. And you say, why can't we be that? I think Tennessee's going through the same thing right now, too. Tennessee looks back and sees Philip Fulmer and what they were and goes, well, hell, why can't we be that? Not realizing that college football is so different now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Because Philip Fulmer was really good at cheating and blaming it on other people. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. First of all, the cheating has not changed. The cheating is just underground. <laughs> it's through boosters. I mean, the cheating is not the... No, everyone cheats. It's part of the system. But uh, He was better at cheating than not getting caught, although... Uh... Yeah. Although I've, I've heard a lot of fun rumors that there were leaks involved and like the leaks happened or what Jeremy Pruitt got in trouble and not because like they were sloppy, but like that someone leaked it. <laughs> Somebody ordered the wrong McDonald's meal. No, right? But, um, but yeah. You know, I, I think the biggest thing with Nebraska is that recruiting side of it. I think that they've lost so much of their old recruiting grounds as well as recruiting is just so different nowadays. It's so commercialized. You know, there's, uh, it's almost impossible to really find a quote-unquote diamond in the rough kit anymore because there's so many camps and the advent of huddle and film being everywhere is crazy. You know, my other theory is the advent of schools like UCF and USF and FAU and FIU and kind of these smaller schools. I think you see it in Texas to an extent with like UTSA and Texas State and those schools is that like the second level or third level kids in those states can now stay home. You know, I always think of Tommy Frazier, who's arguably one of the greatest players in the history of the game. He was a quarterback in Nebraska from Florida that Miami, Florida, Florida State didn't want because he was an option kid. Well, Nowadays, A, the offenses are completely different, as well as that kid's probably going to UCF or USF or, you know, any other Big Ten school that's recruiting in Florida or ACC school or SEC school or, you know, the the commercialization of recruiting has been incredible. It's, you know, the blowing up of everyone's recruiting in the same places. You know, you, you can even look at states like Georgia and Alabama. You know, the recruiting in Georgia is insane. It's the SEC. It's the ACC. It's Notre Dame. It's Stanford. It's Ohio State. It's Michigan. It's, you know, what the what? Well, and I mean, I think it's it also... Indiana. It's it's Minnesota. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, when you you're dealing with all these people, there's kind of a wow factor to it, but there's also kind of like the people you know. I mean, uh, I know talking to my dad about. Uh, what recruiting was like in Alabama. He was from a small-down podunk kind of Alabama school, but you got to keep in mind, like, when you're when you're from there and all you know is around there and then, you know, the biggest team in the state or even, you know, maybe a smaller team in the state comes by and, like, says they want you, you're like, oh, shit, this is awesome. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that, that absolutely happens now. It's, it's why, um, to go off on a tangent... It's one of the reasons I think that Georgia Tech struggles so well in rural Georgia is, you know, especially in certain parts of the state, everyone in the town's a Georgia fan or an Auburn fan or a Florida State fan or a Tennessee fan or a South Carolina fan. And, you know, if you're that kid, like you said, in that podunk town and, uh, you know, Kirby Smart comes into your high school, you know. <laughs> but it, it also doesn't help. As you pointed out, Nebraska's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we we joked about it, but yeah, if uh, 
if somebody comes to your, you know, let's say you're a kid from Florida and FAU comes to you, you're at least like, well, I know FAU. They're not the best football program, but I know them and they got a good band. Say Nebraska comes to your door, you're like, where the fuck is Nebraska? Like, oh yeah, couldn't find it on a map. You know, and you you also see a lot of stuff nowadays is is made on unofficial visits where the recruit has to pay for the travel. You know, if you're a kid in Houston, why in God's name would you drive to Lincoln, Nebraska? You know, if, if you're a kid in Miami or in Tampa or in Orlando, why, why are you going to spend your own money to fly to Nebraska when you can go to UCF, when you can go to USF, when you can drive to Florida, Florida State, Miami, Auburn, Alabama, you know, Georgia Tech, Georgia, uh, it's, it, you know, why? That's the thing is Nebraska just doesn't have a reason for people to go there anymore. You know, they're not the only team on TV anymore. They aren't winning national titles. They're not unique in what they do on offense. Yeah, I mean, all they really have is their history, which, and I guess that comes back to the problem with their boosters or whoever is running the show there. They still kind of seem to live in that past where they are the top dog and they should be getting results, and why isn't it happening? And uh, you know, all of these boosters, they think they're one hot shot coach away from finding the glory years, you know, not realizing that, again, college football changes all of the time. I think Tennessee is struggling with it. I think Texas is struggling with it. I think USC is struggling with it. I think a lot of these premier programs are, are having issues of, well, shit, college football is different. We, we need to realize and be different, but, well, we're not. Yeah, I mean... Artem, I mean, you've been a little... You know, I'd argue, I'd argue Michigan and Penn State fall into that category. Artem, you've been a little quiet, although I think Andrew's kind of overpowering everyone at this point. He's <laughs> sorry, taking sorry a, about he's that. Say, he's <laughs> taking over. Um, but yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, Artem, uh, what are your thoughts as far as that goes? Uh, I guess college football changing and the impact. I think you got to pick your guy and you got to stick to him kind of regardless. You're going to have to fight through those years where he's going to have some shitty teams because that's what it takes now. It takes that ability in kids and parents, more likely, um, like seeing a coach who's been there for a while. So you, you've kind of seen you know, what A&M did. They hired Jimbo Fisher, gave him a 10-year contract. A couple of those schools started trying to do the same thing because they're seeing, hey, there's some success there. There wasn't much of a drop-off when he did that. He's actually doing a little better than the guy before him. So you got Kansas hiring less miles. We'll, we'll see how that still pans out. But then... Um, i to. Mac Brown of North Carolina is doing great too. So it's really about finding that guy who fits your scheme and then just trusting him. He's going to have some tough years, but college football is not just about coaching. It's not just about recruiting. It's about luck. Honestly, Scott Frost probably is that guy from Nebraska, and there's probably hope there. And I hope they stick with him because I think in a, a year or two, he's going to have his guys. He, he'll be He'll be better than he is now. He won't be winning you 10 games because that's, that's tough to get to. But then you look at this season and what they did. They were one of the two schools in the Big Ten that were fighting to have football. And kids saw that. Kids saw the Pac-12 fail and just be like, we don't give a shit. We're not going to play football because it's too dangerous and we want to cancel. And they moved away from that. Nebraska was one of the schools with Ohio State that said, we want to play football. So they saw something in their program, and then they ended up going 3-5. and five. 
Well, so it's a, a, a little bit of that is about luck because their first two games were against Wisconsin and, and Ohio State. If they had you know a cupcake or two to prepare, they probably could have had a better season. I mean, to to be fair, they probably also saw they were going to lose money if they didn't have college football. I mean, I feel like despite all this shit we're talking, Nebraska still makes a lot of money off college football. They've got a lot of fans. I, I don't know. Um, uh, when their stadium is full, it's the third largest city in the state of Nebraska. I think I saw uh, somewhere it said they sold out their stadium every year since 1962. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about Nebraska recruiting. They've still had a top 20 class every year since 2017. Like, it's not that it's not like they're recruiting at a G5 or like a mid forties level. I mean, they're still recruiting in the top twenty-five. Yeah, so I think, in a sense, it does sound like it's kind of what Artem's saying in a weird way. You got to just kind of have the yeah. continuity and have the faith, and not kick a guy out just because he doesn't see immediate success. But it is kind of weird for teams like this to go through, I guess, what we would consider a rebuilding process. I mean. <laughs> It's not fun to talk about, but Georgia Tech's gone through quite a few rebuilding processes. And I mean, we have been a 500 program since we left the SEC in the 1960s. Like, we've had we're up. pretty much like mediocre at best. We've had ups, we've had downs. I mean, we won a championship, but yeah, we've yeah, definitely more recently than some other schools. It's definitely been not Nebraska, though. Yeah. <laughs> so that's actually so. I always have had a soft spot for Nebraska because the rumor story, whatever, was always that in 1990. When we won our national title, Tom Osborne cast the vote in his coach's poll to jump us ahead of Colorado. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. That's always been like the the, the rumor myth story about that. Big spirit on him. That's good. <laughs> Sounds like a huge fuck you to Colorado. Cause it absolutely <laughs> was. <laughs> um, well, also, uh, he was the only coach that played both us and Colorado. But yeah, that that that's what Colorado fans. Oh, he just hated Colorado. I mean, or he thought we were the better team because he played both of them, or both. That's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, and I, you never want to say never, but I don't think we'll ever see Nebraska what they were. I mean. Well, shit, it's very difficult to replicate 50 years of what No, I'm but doing. I mean, even, I don't I don't necessarily think, and again, you never want to say never because you don't know what's going to happen, but I, I don't know if we will ever see Nebraska as a legitimate national championship contender ever again. I'll put an asterisk on that and say if their decision-making stays the same. If they change how they're making decisions, they could be up there. I, I mean, my thing is I can't see the future. The problem is it seems like Nebraska that kind of set them down this path is the fact that, uh, like it or not, I mean, you're in conferences that just don't care about you. The Big Ten, I don't know what exactly, you know, tied the Big 12 to Texas, what made them become the big dog, because as we pointed out, Texas wasn't even really that great. Uh, They won their first big championship in, what, early thousands? So, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, you know, you joined the Big 12 or kind of co-founded it, but the Big 12 doesn't care about you. They care about Texas and Oklahoma. 
So then you go to the Big Ten. Well, the Big Ten definitely doesn't care about you. They were just using you to get a championship. And they really only care about Ohio State and Penn State and maybe Michigan. I don't even know about Michigan. They're supposed to care about Michigan, They're but I'm not sure if they actually do. Yeah, so it's like that's the real problem that you're fighting is that you're not just trying to improve as a program. You're trying to get back that national prestige. And but the conferences you're a part of, you're like maybe a third rate school in that point. I mean, that this year Nebraska was getting compared to like Rutgers. They're like, oh, Nebraska and Rutgers are having a pretty good year. Like, that's a slap <laughs> in the face. <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's that's not a good sign. Um, Somebody was having a giggle writing that headline too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it's. To me, it's. I don't think that they can't be a good program. I think, but if you're talking about prestige, yeah, I would agree with Andrew. You're just never going to see them at a level where they are the defining program in college football. You might see them in a championship chase or two, but I, I don't think they're ever going to get back to that level. I don't know. Well, Alabama did it, so I guess anything's possible. We'll see. Uh, you know... Alabama's got a lot of institutional advantages that not a lot of other schools have. This is true. Especially not Nebraska. Well, I mean, just location to start. Uh, that's that's really, I mean, that's, that's one of the main ones is they're in a location where recruiting is not nearly as hard as a place like Nebraska. And I mean, money, among other things. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of things. Uh, uh, and just to be fair, um, Nebraska did beat Rutgers this year, twenty-eight to twenty-one. Closer, closer than the experts thought. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, you know, they got blown out by Illinois. It's not a good look, and they got blown out by Ohio State. Kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, we're we're not really shocked by that. Uh, they did beat Purdue. They beat Penn State, which, I mean, Penn State was terrible this year, but hey, you know what? Good for Nebraska. Um, But yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up. I do wish the best for Nebraska because I kind of have a soft spot for them. They've never, for how good they've been, they've never really been, at least to my knowledge, they've never really been like uptight or jerks about it and maybe that's because they're I've a, never really met a lot of Nebraska fans yeah maybe that's because they're a smaller program and maybe that's because it's really hard to travel there but I mean I think I've, I think I've only ever met like two people from the state of Nebraska well I mean yeah so compared compared to like programs where you know with most more recent championships I know some Alabama fans that are just jackasses and I am an I mean, Alabama fan. Yeah, I mean, I know Georgia fans that are jackasses, and they haven't won a title since 1980. So I know plenty of Miami fans who are jackasses. So you know, I mean, but I mean, I think Nebraska's just been consistently, and Ohio State, and Texas, and <laughs> uh, but yeah, and all of them. But uh, I, I mean, Nebraska—they've—they've they've always kind of been the epitome of like a work hard, get results kind of program, uh, in my mind. Um, so I do wish the best for them, and I hope they turn it around. But, yeah, they are. Nebraska should hire Jeff Munkin. <laughs> Feelings on that, Artem? Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea who that is. 
I think they should stick with uh, oh Jeff Munkin. I think they should stick with uh, Scott Frost. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think you. this year with uh, with COVID and how they handled it and how other schools didn't handle it well is going to hopefully with a little bit of luck boost them for next season. I think we'll have a good winning season next year. Oh. And if they can get some of their players to stay because everybody got an extra year, now they have all that experience that didn't leave. That's really the key. So, Artem, now this really has nothing to do with it, but yeah, Artem, have you met people from Nebraska and were they jackasses? I don't remember meeting a single person from Nebraska. He's, he's, he's the closest person to Nebraska. He's never met me. Look, look, this is all going to change when Beesball goes to College World Series in July and I have to go to Omaha. Oh. I want to say they were jerks after that game at Cal Field, but I really don't remember. And Logan, you're coming, whether you want to or not. If 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 it happens, I'll go. Um, All right. If it happens, if it happens, I will drive the twelve hours from Nashville to Omaha. Is there a flight? Tell me, Omaha is an airport, right? Yes. Yeah, I believe that's like the main airport in the state of Nebraska. Okay. Well, then yes, I will go. All right. <laughs> Just to say, I've been to Nebraska. All righty. Well, thank you as always to our listeners for tuning in. I uh, hope you found that informative and fun. As always, uh, you can send us an email at tomeleather at gmail.com if you have any other topics you'd like us to cover. Uh, we're going to try and do a few more of these kind of styles in the off season. talk about just topics in college football that interest us more so. So if you got any ideas, feel free to send them. Um, Artem, thank you for being here. Andrew, thank right. you for being here. Y'all, either of y'all got anything to say before we close out? No, that was fun. Thanks for having us. Uh, I said I've, I've learned way more about Nebraska football than I ever thought I wanted to. <laughs> than you ever thought you wanted to. So is it a, has it been a positive impact on I your life? I think so. I mean, I love, I love college football, uh, and, and I love reading about the history, and, and there's so much of it that we as young people and millennials just don't don't really understand or realize or, or kind of look at where the game came from to get to where it is today. Yeah, true story. It also helps like add to some of my hot takes about how we could fix things if people really wanted to. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember what our other hot topics were. I know that we had always talked about the Hawaii finances situation, which I feel like would be very complicated. Yeah, which has gotten even crazier because their home stadium's been condemned. It's a beautiful. I am not joking. It's a beautiful thing. No, I know. Aloha uh, Stadium like is not fit for human occupation. So that might be the next topic. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We're going to talk about it. But anyway, uh, to all y'all out there, have a great rest of your week. Stay safe and uh, good night, everybody. <laughs>